Would you pray with me again? Oh God, we thank you that you are the one who paid our debt. You have washed us clean and you have set us free. God, it is uh, it's quite an amazing thing to think about the fact that we can live debt-free. And this morning, God, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would remind us of your freedom and your love that has come through your son, Jesus. Teach us again about who we are to you and who you have called us to be. Through your mighty son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's warming up out there. I tried to get the air conditioner turned down, but I can't promise I'm not going to sweat. So got my sweat rag and I'm ready to go. So here we go. We are uh, launching into a new series for the four weeks of June called Stewardship. What does it really mean? If you are visiting with us, you might be saying, oh, great. Four weeks on giving more money to the church. Just the right time to come. Well, before you uh, sneak out the back door and run off to Starbucks, I want to encourage you to know that that's not what this series is about. We have been spending some time as a church talking about what does it mean to develop whole, healthy people, and how do we get honest with God and honest with ourselves about how the truth of God's Word can impact our perspective on life and, and open the door to experience freedom and joy and the fruitful life that Jesus came to offer us. And uh, as we go forward, we wanted to talk about how stewardship is really an important spiritual concept that the Bible gives us that we need to understand in order to, to move forward in learning how to apply those truths in our lives. Now, uh, for some of you who are on the older side, like me, you might remember that uh, when President George W. Bush was president... Back in those days, remember those days? He had said that uh, Social Security was like the third rail of politics. It's that electrified rail that you dare not touch for fear you may die. Well, I'd like to suggest to you that money is the third rail of preaching. It is the, <laughs> it is the electrified rail that you dare not touch for fear that you may die. Now, we are going to talk about money a little bit, but that's going to come at the end of the series, and not in terms of you giving more money to us, but more in terms of what is your relationship with money, and how does it impact your relationship with God, just like we're going to look at all the aspects of life, because as whole people, God is concerned with being involved with everything that we have and everything we are. Money is such a difficult topic today for churches because too often churches have the perception that we're just out to get people's money. Uh, too often they talk about money in terms of just giving more to us and, and, and so that we can do the work of God, and they don't talk as much about how money plays a role in your life and your relationship with God. And, and many churches, unfortunately, have handled this topic poorly. Again, we're not talking just about money. We're talking about the broader concept of stewardship. But I want to put your, your fears at ease if you have any concern that we're doing a bait and switch here, because that's not what this is all about. We had some friends in Phoenix who were not Christians, and they were unchurched. And I don't know if you guys remember the, 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 the atmosphere in this country after the 9-11 attacks and when the towers fell. There was, a, there was a huge spiritual awakening and openness by a lot of people to seek out places of faith, to try and make sense out of what was happening in the world. And our friends decided that that was a moment that they wanted to go and, and experience church. 
And so they didn't come to our church. They went to another church that was close to where they were. And it just so happened on that Sunday, the pastor had a sermon on giving. And they got the impression that with all that was happening in the country, if the only thing that the pastor could think to talk about on that Sunday was giving money to the church, then of course that was really the bottom line for what church was really all about. In this series, we're going to be talking about how stewardship from a biblical perspective is less about money and it's more about the concepts of freedom and generosity in every aspect of our life including our time, our talent, and our treasure. Rather than thinking about stewardship in solely financial terms, I want to suggest for us today that in the weeks ahead and in the future of our lives together, we need to begin thinking about the word stewardship in more spiritual terms, that that stewardship is really Jesus' uniquely spiritual approach to life that opens the door for all of life to be lived as a spiritual act of worship to God. That's really the biblical perspective on what stewardship is all about. If you look in the New Testament, in the original Greek language, the the word for stewardship is oikonomia. And it's the word that we get our, our word economy from. And the root word of oikonomia is oikos, which simply means household. And back in Jesus' day, families were grouped into households, and households were the economic, the base economic unit of society. So it wasn't just that you had a house that was on the corner on a street somewhere in a large city. You had a household that not only had husband and wife and kids, but had servants and, and people to work the land, and you had farming that you did, and, and, and the household was this large economic endeavor. And often, owners of the household needed managers or stewards to help them manage the property. And so this word oikonomia, stewardship, came from a role that a servant played within a household or an employee, you could say, played in a household to help manage the affairs of the household. And that's really what Jesus' perspective is. If we, if we look in Matthew 24, verses 45 and 47, if we have that for you on the screen, Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him, do, finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So you can see in Jesus' teaching here where he's teaching about what is to come and and the nature of the spiritual life in the kingdom of God. There's this understanding that stewardship is a part of our role as disciples of Jesus Christ. As we come into relationship with God, he invites us to become stewards or managers in his household. Think back to the Old Testament story of Joseph. And if you remember the life of Joseph, he was sold into slavery, but then he worked himself up in Potiphar's household to become the manager of Potiphar's whole house. He was Potiphar's steward. And then, of course, Potiphar's wife falsely framed him. He got thrown in prison. And then he worked his way up in Egypt, right? And he became the steward or the manager of all of Pharaoh's stuff, ultimately saving the whole world from the famine that was to come. You see, the central issue when it comes to stewardship really becomes one of ownership. Who owns the stuff? That's 
the core issue that I want to talk about this morning as it relates to the biblical concept of stewardship. Ultimately, if you look at the biblical perspective, the Bible tells us that everything ultimately belongs to who? God. We don't own anything. It's all God's stuff. He simply allows us to steward and manage the stuff that he's given, including all of our money. Let's take a quick look through some of the Old Testament passages. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Or Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on you, his ancestors, and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. And finally, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Even the ability to produce wealth, the Bible says, comes to us as a gift from God. We can't even claim ownership of our own abilities to produce anything in this world. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that this is a radical departure from what our society tells us the nature of life is all about. We have been conditioned to think, as part of that society, that possessing And owning stuff is one of the ultimate goals for for life. It's one of the primary reasons to live. It's one of the primary reasons to go to school, get an education, graduate with a degree. Because if you get a degree, then you might earn more income. And if you might earn more income, you might be able to buy a bigger house or nicer cars or bigger boats or more things. Our whole culture is geared toward this concept of owning stuff as a way to to make it in life, to find happiness, to find fulfillment. And the challenge is that when we buy into this system, this economy of owning stuff, what it conditions us to do is to objectify everything around us, including our spouse, our kids, all of our relationships, our approach to church, Everything becomes a part of what we own and what we possess that helps us to make sense out of who we are and gives us our our sense of worth and value. You think about owning a home in America. Isn't isn't owning your own home, the, the white picket fence, part of the American dream? I mean, think about that philosopher John Cougar Mellencamp, right? Ain't that America? Something to see, baby. Ain't that America? Land of the free. Little pink houses for you and me. Man, if you, can, if you can make it through school and you can make it in your career to the point where you can buy your own house and you can have your own transportation and you can have the, the flat screen TV on the wall, you have arrived. You have made it and you are fulfilled in life, right? What more could anyone want? And yet over and over again, we find that there's no there there. We get all the stuff, but we're not any happier. All of our relationships are still in conflict, and we still have the same challenges, and and illness comes in and and, and threatens to to take it all away. Ultimately, we have to understand that we're all just renters here. 
And yet we're conditioned over and over again to buy more and to grab for more stuff. One person has said that the only reason that a great many American families don't own an elephant is because nobody's offered it for a dollar down in easy monthly payments. But man, if you could get an elephant for that price, everybody'd have one. Now, there's nothing wrong with elephants or houses, or cars, or money, or stuff. There's nothing wrong with the stuff. What's wrong is is what the Bible and what Jesus says the stuff does to our spirit and to our soul when we're looking for our happiness and our fulfillment through ownership and possession of stuff. If we allow our perspective to shift, however, based on a more biblical perspective of what life is really all about and what this stuff means, we begin to see that ownership is really an illusion and that we're all just passing through here. And the stuff we get to play with while we're here is all a gift from God that he gives us with the hope that we're going to use wisdom and in faithfulness, use the stuff that he's given us for his glory and not for our own. Biblical scholar Kenneth Boa tries to encourage us to say, to not rush through this idea too quickly. Herein, he says, lies the fundamental principle of biblical stewardship. The fundamental principle, in fact, of all of Christianity. And that's the fact that we own nothing. We own nothing. God owns everything. We are simply managers of his stuff. As humbling as this sounds, we don't bring anything to the table. It all comes from God. God has entrusted us with certain resources, gifts, and abilities. These things rightfully belong to him. And our responsibility, Boa says, is to live by that trust, by managing these things well, according to his design and his desire. You see, if we, if we take a biblical perspective and, and we don't rush past this truth of ownership too quickly and we, we contemplate on it for a, a few minutes in our own life and we begin to, to recognize that, that if this is true, that, that really nothing that we have belongs to us, but it all comes to us as a gift from God, then it begins to change how we view all of the little decisions that we make in our life. Every decision that we make whether it's how we spend money or how we're investing our time or how we're spending in developing our relationships, all of them become spiritual decisions in our lives. You could say that God becomes personally invested in every decision that we make, every purchase that we make, in every relationship we make, because ultimately it's all of his stuff that we're managing. And the other part of the biblical perspective is that Far from leading to an experience of loss, living with this perspective leads to an experience of freedom and generosity because we don't have to cling to things in order to feel worthwhile and happy. We can open our hands recognizing that God invites us to live with his character, to live in the freedom that we don't live for things, but we can use things to further his kingdom and to bring glory to him. When we open up the Bible, Boaz says, we are confronted by God, and he is the creator, and he has the absolute rights and ownership of all things. And if we miss this as the starting point, he says, it's like misaligning the top button on your shirt. Everything else in life doesn't ever quite measure up. See, it was this larger perspective that Jesus had of God's ownership and our stewardship that formed Jesus' perspective on his own life. And what he tried to teach his disciples. 
I want to read to you this morning the familiar story, the parable that Jesus taught about the parable of the talents. In the NIV, they've changed it to the parable of the bags of gold. Uh, talent in that time was a sum of money, and scholars suggest that a talent was such a large amount of money that it could be worth 15 to 20 years of an average day laborer's salary. So t- to call a change the word talent to a bag of gold is probably helps us understand a little bit more what was really going on here in this parable. We might today even say, you know, he gave each of them millions of dollars. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, Jesus says, and called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold or five million dollars to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, Jesus' perspective is on this household economy. And the wicked, lazy servant is is thrown out of the house into the street, and they have no home. And so they are sleeping on the street, and it's dark, and they're sad, and there's gnashing of teeth. They're missing the fulfillment and the joy of their master. See, the master gave each of the servants the opportunity of a lifetime. This was their chance to prove themselves, to test their skills, and to possibly raise their positions to greater influence and responsibility within the master's household. But upon his return, the master discovered that only two of the servants had invested the money and that one had buried it in the ground. He took the greatest gift he would ever be given and he buried it in a field because he was afraid. See, Jesus is making it clear that it's not the size of the gift that's important, the important variable in this story. The variable that matters is what each servant does with what he's been given. While the first servant is given more than double what the second servant is given, they're both commended with the exact same words. Their reward is exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
See, in the final analysis and on the day of reckoning, the master will not ask you if you invested someone else's gifts. He won't ask what you did with what you didn't have. He'll only be concerned with what you did with what he did give you. Perhaps the most challenging point of the parable, though, is that the third servant is not judged for doing anything wrong or doing anything bad. The third servant is judged for doing nothing. See, in life, we're not only to be merely concerned about our own self-preservation and our own self-promotion and grabbing for our own happiness. Jesus is saying that we're, we're to look at all of life as a gift from God and ask ourselves, what is God inviting us to do to invest the time, the talent, and the treasures that we have to produce a harvest for his kingdom, a, a, a return on his investment in you? God has, has given his son to bring you to life. He's given you his spirit to be in you. God has empowered you and gifted you to do amazing things in his name. And all he's wanting you to know is, is how are you going to invest the gifts that he's given you? Not worrying about what you don't have or what you wish you had or what you think you need to have to be more than you are today, but what you have right now. How are you investing what you have right now today for his kingdom and his glory? Because see, if we're not investing what we already have, how can we be entrusted to receive more? As Christians, we've been entrusted with a stewardship, a role in God's family, a role in God's household to manage the things that he's given us. And the things that we call our own often really aren't our own, but they belong to God. And we have no possessions at all. In fact, the Bible says, if you really want to go all the way with this perspective, we don't even really own ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the Apostle Paul says, Or don't you know, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Even who we are comes to us as a gift from God. We don't own anything. Ron Hutchcraft was the speaker at Chick. When I was a teenager, Chick is our national youth conference that our high school kids go to every three years, and our kids are going again this summer. And I can still remember the speaker that was at the Chick that I went to when I was in high school. And so I'm excited for our kids to be able to go and experience the life-changing impact that this conference can have because it changed my life. And Ron Hutchcraft was the speaker, and, and I still remember the talk that he gave. And he, and he came and he said, you know, we, we all love cars in our, in our society, right? How many of you have ever gone out and bought a new car? Gone through that process, you, you look for the style that you want and the, the things that you think were, are going to make it look cool and the color. And, and you go, imagine you go to the car dealership and, and, and say you've been blessed to have the resources to buy a brand new shiny car off the showroom floor. And, and, and you come in and you make the deal and you think you got the deal done. And you come in and the, the guy says, okay, wait right here. And he comes out with a box. And in the box is a steering wheel, a brake pedal, a clutch you know, a turn signal and a radio. He goes, here you go, here's your car. You're like, wait a minute. I paid for the whole thing. I don't want just a box of parts. I want the whole car. You see, that's Jesus' perspective with you and me. 
We come to God on Sunday morning. We come to worship him. And we, we come and we say, God, we give you our life. We dedicate ourselves to you. But ultimately, we want to give him pieces of our lives and hold back other pieces that we think we need to manage and control. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. I didn't pay for a box of loose parts. I paid the full price. I want the whole thing. And we often miss that God has paid everything by the blood of Jesus. He has given his whole life to bring us back to himself. And in our fear and in our anxiety and in our need to to think that we have to have the power to be able to manage our lives, we hold back from giving everything to God because we think somehow we're smarter than God and we know better how to manage the things that he's given us. But the biblical perspective is that because we have been bought at a price and we have become servants of the most high God, because we have become brothers and sisters of Jesus and we have been enfolded into God's household, he invites us to be managers, to be stewards of his stuff. Now, if you think about this perspective, this kind of explodes the popular misconception that we give God a percentage of tithing in our giving to God. Right? We come to church and we say, oh, well, the Bible says we give 10% to God. Now, is that on gross or net? I'm not sure. Is it, you, 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 we got to figure that out, right? We, we give 10% to God. We give 5% to God. We might give 2% to God, but the rest is ours to do with what we want. And if we've given God our percentage, then we feel like, okay, now we can spend our money however we want. Missing the whole point that that's not even the, the reason why we tithe. The tithe is just like a a tip. (laughs) It's like, thanks, God. The least we can do is give you, you know, the first 10%. The rest belongs to you too. How do you want us to invest the rest? How much of your time are you tithing to God? How much of your relationships are you tithing to God? How much of the rest of your life are you actively and intentionally managing for God? with a perspective on what he wants and what his desire is. If you think about it, you could, you could almost imagine your life as a, as a, a portfolio of accounts, right? We have, we have our, our, our relationship with God account, and we have our relationships with those loved ones around us, our, our spouse and our kids account. We have our, our career account. We have our, our physical health and fitness account. We have all these different things that, that we could invest time and energy and resources in, But how much of that are we really thinking about and paying attention to in terms of what God wants us to be investing in? And and again, don't get me wrong, this isn't about giving money to church. This is about inviting God into every aspect of your life, recognizing that he has invited you to be a manager of all the things that he's given you, including your very self. How much time are you investing in your own health, in your own sanity, in your own rest, Because you have a responsibility to manage you for God as well. Too often we run ourselves ragged, even in the name of God, sacrificing healthy boundaries and time and energy, not recognizing that we're, we're burning ourselves out on both ends, all in the name of God, but we have allowed ourselves to become disconnected from the very God who's invited us to do those things in his name. You see, the pattern of our lives, financial and otherwise, is shaped by all of these decisions we make as we manage the lives that God has given us. And the greatest of these decisions ultimately comes down to ownership. Who 
is the owner of your stuff? And really, the biblical question behind that is who is the master of your life? Who is the Lord of your life? Are you the Lord of your life? Or is Jesus the Lord of your life? Who's the owner and who's the steward? But you see, if we can get this one right, if we can understand that each day and every Sunday that we come to church and each evening that we go to bed, Jesus is inviting us to turn over the master role to him and to accept the servant role, the steward role in our life again. That leads us to a life of freedom and generosity because none of the stuff is ours to have to control. He invites us to play with his toys without the fear that we have to be responsible for the outcome. We can trust him with the outcome because we don't have to control our own lives. See, we have freedom from the need to cling to our possessions, and we have the freedom to give generously with our time and our talents and our treasure to those around us, which opens the door to Jesus' perspective that all of life becomes a spiritual life when it's lived as a spiritual act of worship to God. In this series, we're going to explore how do we do that? How do we do that with our gifts and our talents? How do we do that in our work life and our vocation? How do we do that financially with our money? Because all of these things take take intentional work and focus. And so we're going to talk about how do we take the truths of Scripture and, and this truth that God really owns everything and apply that in really practical ways so that we can become those people who we hear the master's words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will put you in charge of much. Come and enter your master's happiness. Would you pray with me? God, as we embark upon this new series and this new season in our lives, as we enter into summer and we think about vacations and trips and planning all the things that uh, we need to do to be ready for all the activities on our calendar. God, would you allow us to pause long enough in our own spirits, to pause long enough in our own minds and our own hearts to, to reflect on the fact that you are the owner of everything and that really none of it belongs to us. And God, would you allow that perspective to begin to, to reshape our thinking, to, to allow us to let go of the fear and the anxiety that somehow we need to cling to things in order to be happy, but to begin to live in the freedom and joy that, that you have invited us to be simply the stewards of all the gifts that you've given us. God, forgive us for coveting the gifts that we don't have the things that our neighbors have and that other people have that that we wish we had, that we think we need in order to be happy and help us to be satisfied and content with the gifts you have given us and learn how to invest those wisely, knowing, God, that we will grow and experience the abundance of joy that God has, that you have given us through your son, Jesus. And we will praise you and thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.